you're listening to the social experiment with fear and kai and we are continuing the conversation on identity just like last week we still have our friends who have joined us for this discussion so we do hope you enjoy this episode and thank you so much for joining us today kai take this away okay Okay, um, so I guess earlier on, we have been talking about like other aspects of our social identity, such as our race, our national identity, our ethnicity. And I think particularly within the African context and within the African community in the diaspora, I think gender is also another salient identity. Um, Gender, our sexuality and gender expression. it is, I guess, no news to anyone that LGBTQ rights are lacking in the continent. And we've all had, I guess, conversations or statements alluding to the fact that um, being a part of the LGBTQ community is anti-African, is against African culture, is against what we stand for as Africans. It's sort of a Western ideal, a Western notion, which in its essence is wrong. It's a false statement. Um, So I guess the next uh, part of this discussion or conversation will be around our gender identity and our sexuality, how we identify within these, um, how we identify, let me not jack this on. But yeah, so does anyone have anything else to say? Who wants to start us off? I can start off. Um, I've been doing a lot of thought on this. So I identify as a woman and a queer woman. When I was growing up, I used to say I was bisexual. It's actually funny. Um, I was on the phone with Sia and we pulled up some old tweets. Yo, yo, yo. And an old friend of ours was saying something about... um, oh, if you say this, you're going to turn out like Cynthia because she's bi, something like that. She's rubbing off on you. It was very silly. We were very young. But um, basically, I identify as a queer person because I think that bisexuality doesn't encompass all that I believe I am in the sense that I feel that I can appreciate all different types of people regardless of their gender identity or their... I mean, they have to be queer, but like... Anyways, but um, I think... Growing up, it was a bit difficult for me, especially in my high school, because there were very few other queer women like myself. And I mean, even now in college, I think I'm the only uh, woman that is queer and an African on our campus. So I've really struggled to find alliance with people like that. And I'm slowly starting to find it more on Twitter. But um, yeah. Um, I I relate a lot to what um, Cynthia just said. Um, I, I mean, I never really knew, but I kind of knew, but everyone like friends knew before me, like they would make jokes that, oh, like Simone is most likely going to be the one who would date women out of all of us. And I was just like, I mean, yes, but it was just weird that I never had to say anything because apparently I just gave off that vibe, but I don't know how I would exactly like fit that into my African identity um, just because of just some uh, like preconceived notions that 
people at least outside of my in like immediate family unit might have and also how that um like this identity would i don't know i feel i have i don't know if any of you feel that this kind of it it would be perceived as more of a western identity like brought on by my exposure to the west than it would be uh like my african identity i don't i don't know if i'm wording this correctly but it's it yeah yeah i'm not wording this correctly if someone can eloquently summarize it i don't know if i can summarize it i think i mean i don't know it was eloquent enough that i understood and it resonated with me um it made me think about just these terms that we're using you know like queer and for me, like I never was exposed to the word, I think, before coming here. But definitely Tumblr was a huge world opening to me because I was like, huh, okay, so all of these things that that are in my life, but not necessarily in my society, because those are kind of, I don't know, I was always going through the internal and me, and then what's happening around me and just not seeing there was no mirroring. So I just, <laughs> I just, yeah, exactly. I just found it on the internet where I was just like, yeah, it makes sense. I'm talking to strangers on the internet because they get what I'm talking about. Whereas the people around me have no idea what I'm talking about and look at me weird because I'm like, oh, have you ever heard of this? Like, what is this? What is that? Um, but sometimes I feel like it's taken away from me when I go back home and people are like, oh, you're just like, another girl who went to america and comes back and comes back with all these big words and you're like oh look at me i'm a person of color i'm this i'm that and they're like no you're just moroccan or just whatever uh whatever box that they put me in that is very homogenous and i'm like have you seen me um but yeah i think this is just i was wondering where you guys got your exposure to these terms and um, oh, yes, sorry. Yes. Oh, no. Did anyone um, want to speak? Yeah. Yeah, like, in terms of, like, the, like, the wording, like, the terms used to describe what we now call either queer identities, being gay, being bisexual, and just being a member of the LGBTQ plus community, um, I think this goes back to our lack of knowledge on our own local um, languages and our own history. Cause I definitely do think if we probe, like there are articles I've seen where there are words for being gay or for being, um, yeah, in the, I guess, Hosa uh, uh, tribe. Um, I have read articles where it sort of point, and a book also that I read called like, I think it's boy wives and female husbands i'm not sure because i was like really interested in like learning about the lgbtq community particularly with regards to the african continent because oftentimes we just hear oh this isn't a part of our culture it's not a part of our history but then it just shows it is more telling those statements i guess how little we know of our history as african people how little we know of our languages and our culture as african people and um, and how if we really do look into our local languages, I haven't done so, 
with my tribe back home or we have conversations with people, um, I guess specifically the elderly generations, we can uncover these terms. And oftentimes when people go to sort of contend the place of the LGBTQ community within African history, within African culture, it almost always boils down to the Bible. And we forget that the Bible is not historically African. It's, it was, I mean, it was brought around by colonialism. And we know there was African culture. There still is African culture. I mean, I guess the point I'm trying to say is we did have a culture. We did have an understanding of the way we, I guess, carried ourselves pre-colonialism. So I guess that's, what I, that's where my thoughts are heading to. I, I think the anti-LGBTQ um, sentiments we have in the continent is telling of how little we know of our history and of how little we know of our culture. Um, yeah, no. Yeah. Oh, I was. I just wanted to say um, that I was literally about to mention religion in terms of like the homophobic sentiments that we have, and how religion has um, demonized exploring your sexuality, like regardless as a girl, regardless of like, I guess, whether you're straight or you're bi or you're gay or you're lesbian kind of thing. It, it just like, there's these barriers that as women, you're not supposed to, you're supposed to keep yourself pure and everything else. Even the way like patriarchy works is that like, even in um, single parent households, there's still, like, even if you're raised by a single mom and everything, there's still that kind of, like, patriarchy that, like, runs wild and, like, your mom is rooted also in patriarchal thinking, whereas, and therefore, pro, like, what do, what's the word? Perpetuates the cycle, I guess. I feel like there are these boxes, right, that we have, okay? There's, like, the box of being an African. Within the box, there's like the box of the patriarchy and how a household should be run. There's a box of how a woman should act and how a man should act. And I feel like as a queer woman, I've noticed that because I'm queer, I'm not like your typical African woman, right? So therefore, if I'm not in that box of being a stereotypical woman, I'm just the polar opposite or I'm expected to be like the opposite, which makes me feel like I have to be more masculine presenting because I'm queer or behave with more masculine performative actions just to satisfy the idea that I'm far away from what the stereotypical African female is, right? And that makes me feel like I'm battling with people that are within the box of being African, right? So it feels like it pushes me away from being African, but then it also puts pressure on me to behave in a way that's not exactly what I am. So when you stray away from the norm of red commas, it like, you can't just be feel, you can't be free to be who you are and explore that identity. The same with any type of sexuality within our Africanness. Uh, if that makes sense to you guys. No, it, it a hundred percent makes sense because, um, this is, it's so funny because I always make this comment to my mom that, you know, by her, her bringing me to America was a disservice to her because, um, not to be funny, but it's like, there's a lot of 
from a very young age, I've been told that, you know, as a woman, you're supposed to be this. As a woman, you're supposed to be that, you know, women do this. Like, while I've been home, I have not shaved my leg hairs at all at TMI. But, you know, just little things like that are me trying to, like, reclaim my femininity. I am so sorry if the, my background music is so loud. My neighbors are playing music. I'm sorry. But, um, yeah, for a very no, long you're good. time. I've been very um I've been very cognizant of what being a woman is supposed to be because that's what I've been taught. Um I've been very cognizant of like, you know, women are supposed to dress this way, women are supposed to speak this way. Um when Chimande Adiche had her um had her TED talk, I showed it to my mom. And I remember my mom saying, Well, that's nice, but that'll never be Africa. And it broke my heart because and you know, she said, Well, our culture and our tradition and it's and it's so sad that whenever we, I try to call out like, you know, older Africans on things like that, they're like, well, that's our culture. That's a tradition. And I'm always stuck on how to move the conversation forward and let them know that just because culture and tradition is not set in stone, culture and tradition is not always perfect. And culture and tradition should evolve as the times evolve. And culture and tradition that's based in like oppressing one group is not okay. Like I remember her telling me stories of like, oh, um, my specific tribe in Africa, we there they have like Igbo Day celebrations. And my mom told me as a kid, there was like a time when it was like, during this period of time, you weren't allowed to go out of the house without like a male. Like they, she had a little brother and she couldn't leave her house without her little brother guiding her. So it's like little things like that, that she grew up with that she tried to pass on to me. And I feel like, and I feel like, and I feel, oh, sometimes I feel like an elitist in some ways maybe that's not the right word to use because i know i feel privileged in a lot of ways because and blessed in a lot of ways because my thinking is very freeing and i can attribute that to the fact that i was raised outside of that because i said like for example like my house was very nigerian but when i went outside and saw how other people grew up and how other people expressed themselves it was so very different from the ways I was growing up and how I was allowed to express myself. And I kind of questioned a lot of how I grew up and how I was expressing myself. Like, why is it that, you know, when I have family members over, the men are sitting down and not doing anything while all the women are in the kitchen cooking? Like, why is that okay? Like, why is these things that are happening? And as a little girl, it had such an impact on me. And, you know, when I got to college, I was really depressed. And one of the reasons why I was really depressed was because I was trying to, I was trying to, fight all of these things that I was taught and try to refine myself outside of the spectrum and outside of the box that I was placed into. So it's, it's very interesting. And I wish, and I really wish like, I don't know, I don't know. I'm going to, I'm going to stop ranting, but yeah, that's been my experience with it. I'm wondering, um, just hopping off of what you said, I'm wondering if some of those like like misogynist aspects of traditions weren't created during colonialism and then sort of just like rolled into our cultural practices but I mean that just I don't know that could be an interesting thing to uncover um I just wanted to say that I think I so I'm not sure who said this that culture being culture not being static. I definitely agree with that. It's like cultures shift all the time. We create our cultures. And I think 
personally, there's a lot I need to uncover in terms of the historical context of just this misogyny and patriarchy. And I think it definitely has strong ties to colonialism, but I cannot say for a fact that it is the root cause because I do not know. And I think that's a lot to learn on my part. But I think also what's heartbreaking when we're looking at feminism is how certain feminists or sort of anti-LGBTQ rights and without realizing that, such sentiments are antithetical to what feminism is. You know, it's like feminism is about equality for all genders, not just the sort of binary ways in which we're used to thinking. And they sort of do a disservice to the movement and to themselves or what they think they stand for by having such sentiments and not realizing that, yeah, nah, nah, that's not how things work. It's like, you cannot be for women's rights and not be for like trans women's rights. You cannot be for um, equality for all the sexes and genders without being for, or speaking on, like speaking for, or fighting for LGBTQ rights. Um, I definitely, yeah, as I said, I cannot speak on sort of like the historical rulings of misogyny and patriarchy, although I definitely do believe it has strong ties. Like, as far as the readings I've done or the books I've read within the African continent, it definitely has strong ties to do with colonialism and the legacy of it and sort of the Bible and other religious practices we have. Because sometimes when we speak of religion and colonialism, we think of Christianity, particularly within the African continent and sort of forget that Islam was, I guess, way there before Christianity came. And I don't necessarily understand or know what those, I guess, consequences were with um, Islam. I don't want to say it's imperialism, but um, just Arab occupation, I guess, of the continent and what those consequences were in terms of patriarchy, misogyny, and all of that. But looking at online conversations, recent online conversations, surrounding rape culture and misogyny and it's just so heartbreaking seeing how women have internalized this misogyny and become gatekeepers themselves not knowing that they're doing a disservice to themselves seeing how our elder generations of women and men are so hell-bent particularly with women are so hell-bent and gatekeeping and preserving patriarchy and not realizing it's detrimental to us all including men it's like patriarchy also harms men not i wouldn't definitely say not to the extent as which it harms women i guess these um harms are sort of unique and different however in holding on to these patriarchal values and this patriarchal system we're doing a disservice to all of us it's like men y'all can't even cry like, do you understand how <laughs> horrific that is, to say the least, for well, lack of a better term? Y'all can't even cry. Y'all can even, I guess, with your chest, express your emotions. And how that sort of stagnates and impedes that growth, that emotional intelligence. And you see that even when we try to, like, go into dating and we're talking about, like, romantic relationships and all of that. I'm sorry, guys, I'm rambling. No, 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 no. You, you are so, you're right. Um, 
I, because of like how I was raised, um, whew, worked, worked on myself, you know, worked, I'm working on myself. But um, when as a kid, I had such animosity towards African men. Um, I had, a, because of my dad, because of my uncles, and just because I was cognizant enough to know what they were doing to my aunts. And it always, it always upset me seeing how my mom was treated, how my aunts were treated at their hands of their, like the hand of their husbands. Like these are people you married and said, and they said, I do at the altar with you. And yet now that you're living with them, they're your oppressors in a way. And I was so against one day ending up with an African man because I was like, I will not be like this. I will not live like this. I will not be your servant. Like I'm supposed to be your wife. And for a very long time, it took me, it took me a while to, to gain any kind of empathy towards African men and realizing that they also, you know, were are victims of this system because it was kind of like, how can you treat somebody like this? How is it that you're so stuck on proving that you're a man, so stuck on performing what you have been wrongly programmed to believe as masculinity that you're oppressing somebody that you claim to love? Um, and it was, it was really hard for me for a while. It was like, and it bled into like how I viewed black men. So it was kind of like, because I didn't like African men, I also wouldn't like black men. Very problematic. Very, very problematic. But, um, yeah, it's, it's interesting, like how it also impacts them. And sometimes because of the fact that they're above women in society, the empathy isn't really given, but we, like, yeah, there's a large impact of I'm rambling. Sorry. I'll let somebody else go. Oh no, I just wanted to agree with um, what you were saying and sort of answer the question as to why men think it's okay to sort of abuse and mistreat people, mistreat women, women, African men. I think it all boils down to power. I think ours is a culture of dominance. And look, one thing I can say, anyone in a position of privilege might not her might not have and i think this is a conversation sia and i have had in the past people in a position of privilege know they do not want to be the other so i think in terms of them rationalizing or thinking it's okay to act a certain way to perform this notion of masculinity a very misguided notion i must say all boils down to power the power that that gives them over the other, the power that that gives them over women. And which is kind of sad. And we see this reinforced in our mass media, whether it's a TV, whether it's advertising. And when we're going back to the continent, we see that, I mean, when we talk of the continent, it is so horrific. It is so horrible the way in which society has normalized this, mis this maltreatment, this abuse and this oppression that women face. Hell, I have even heard if as a man or as a woman, your man does not beat you, he doesn't love you. I mean, and that is like, I would say one of the extremes. We see this, I guess, dominance and this oppression in other like ways, but I mean, I have heard that. And it's like, what the, like, what are we saying here? Like, let's just take, let's take a step back and actually understand what we're saying but i also want to say it takes a lot of unlearning even on our parts as like the younger generation as women it takes so much unlearning and personally speaking i am still unlearning all of the 
misogyny which I have internalized growing up, all of the doctrines and misogynistic misogynistic doctrines that were sort of ingrained in us coming up and how that ties into feelings of low self-esteem and low self-worth that we see time and time again displayed in some of the sentiments and some of the statements we see women make either about themselves or about other women, particularly when conversations of rape and rape culture, sexual assault within the continent comes up. I think, uh, oh, go ahead, Tia. No, 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 babe, go, go ahead. Um, my point is really quick. I just wanted to say or add a layer of what I've been thinking about is what it teaches us about love, because that's something that I know I've had to unlearn definitions that were given to me of what it means to be in partnership or in marriage. And growing up, I completely just did not want, like I was 13 and my grandparents had given up on, you know, grandkids from my side because I was just so adamant about, I will not perpetuate what I see around me in terms of power dynamics between man and woman in partnership. And then that made me very lone wolfy kind of, and it cut me from other women and cut me from tribe and cut me from non-patriarchal understandings of what it means to be in partnership. Because I joke about all of my goddess lady friends who are just so badass and great and soft and all of these, like, look at us, look at us. Um, But we had to do a lot of work to acknowledge and see it and then you do the work on you and then you do the same on others to elevate and raise other people like I just had a conversation with my mom this morning where she was just like I'm tired doing dishes doing this doing all these things you're right I'm gonna go take a walk and I was like yes ma'am you go take your walk um but just to want to like think about this notion of my mom was scared of taking a walk my dad goes for his walks all the time uh and she's just at home because she's like oh but the kids Oh, but the dishes, oh, but the food, oh, but the, I'm like, oh, but walks, you know, like exercise, basic, normal human things. And just this gendered approach of who belongs in what space. Um, we have less than a minute. So I'm just going to stop my rant at rethinking what it means, love and partnership. And Bill Hooks's book, you know, just plug in. That really like smacked me upside down where I was like, I don't think I know what I'm talking about when I talk about love, which is kind of sad. Bell hooks us all confused. Oh my god. <laughs> Bell hooks shook has when been I, shaking all of us. <laughs> my sister does the good job. You, yeah, reading that book girl, dragged up and down. I felt personally attacked with some chapters. Others I could not take it anymore. I had to drop my glass of wine, but girl, we are all in this, Sarah. We are all in this. Um also, I just, oh, this thing might end soon because we have less than a minute. But I I wanted to raise a, a point that's like kind of similar to Sarah. Like, I think you touched on this briefly about existing outside of the norms can be very self-isolating. And yeah. like just trying to find a way to like dismantle the system and like do something that people are genuinely not doing it's just self-isolating and it can get very lonely and because it 
just it isolates you from other women it isolates you from the tribe like you said and it isolates you and you start to even doubt the journey that you're on and the journey like the the things that you value kind of thing um i think i was just i wanted to say oh yeah my question was that how have you like found the balance i guess and like or you just like doing it all alone and walking the lonely road by yourself type of thing it's been difficult it's been very difficult because I'm realizing that um, in a lot of situations, I have to be the bigger person. And I, not that I hate being the bigger person, but sometimes it gets tiring being the bigger person. But um, because again, when you do a lot of internal work, as I'm like, I'm sure everyone, like when you do a lot of internal work, um, you kind of like heal yourself, but you can also see what's wounded in other people in a way. And so I've also realized that that, and I want to say that that's not my place and that's not to do because it's very draining. It's, it's very draining because the more you try to educate people, sometimes you'll end up in spaces where people don't want to listen and they're just going to attack you for trying to educate. But I've realized that it is worth it because having a world where people are educated and people can actually help themselves because Again, I don't feel like we'll ever be able to properly organize as a group as a group in the world unless people heal themselves first. And maybe through attempting to educate people, no matter how strenuous and draining it is for yourself, which again, I feel like take time out and you know, take time out for yourself when it does get you draining, but without without the people who know better, which again, I feel like sounds elitist in a way to say I know better, but Without the people who know better taking that chance and educating other people, change will never happen. So while it is really draining, it is very draining work, but I think it's very important work at the same time. Um, for me personally, it was, like when you said it was, it was just started with it was difficult, but then I was reflecting about, about that and kind of, I see a shift in my life where I was, um, walking the lonely road, I guess is what you called it. And it was very lonely, but I knew that I had to because the things that I was dealt, it was just not working for me. You know, all these box things, I was like, just no. Um, also, people who know me are like, they know that I'm super into astrology. I'm a Gemini. I have a lot of Gemini in my chart. I'm like, I'm the wind. I, I You cannot contain. So I'm just going to be out here being the wind. And then I realized that there were other people in this much as I became open about all these different identities and the nuances between them, because it's not an either or game. It's a this and this and this and this and this and this. And And we're complex beings, you know? Um, So people who, and I think you brought up a really good point of people who are not receptive to the complexities and nuances of your own being are not open and receptive to the complexities of their own which means like they just don't want to do the work on themselves. I'm not asking you to come do the work for me on me and my path. You know, I'm just minding my own business being the wind. So I don't know. And then I just, it switched. And all of a sudden I'm surrounded by like, look at this. (laughs) 
this is happening on a random Saturday where my heart just feels at ease talking to five people who I don't think we've ever talked about things like this. Like me and CA would meet in the library and we're like, this is a really lonely path. You know, this, we just talked about the being international, which is one thing we just covered. Like, I don't even remember. And it's infinite, you know, but the beauty of it is that you can either spend your time trying to convince people or like connect with those that are willing and who have openness to reception just like not a brick wall I guess and that's always been helpful for me because it feeds my fire and I feed theirs and we all stay warm instead of let me try and convince you that there's a fire like while I'm doing that my fire is extinguishing and I'm exhausted I'm like well no one sees the fire so I guess maybe it's just dark like there's no way it is there is no way so that's my spiel no, I definitely feel you. I think that, um, I think I just lost my train of thought. <laughs> but just in terms of like dealing with everything and being on a lonely road, it can be very difficult at times. And I think I've had to change my expectations with people, but having conversations like this and actively seeking out people who think in the same way as me and sometimes think of it differently than me has been really helpful in terms of forming some sort of community in different spaces. So thank you for inviting me to be on this um, podcast episode. And I just want to put out there that um, maybe on the chat, we can like exchange the things, the Instagram, the, what the kids do, you know, and just take this off the podcast as well. I think it's a lifelong conversations and I'd be more than happy to have this again with you guys. Um, I guess <laughs> I agree with everyone, like what everyone has said and see what you mentioned that this path to awareness, I guess, like living consciously is very isolating. Um, some of these conversations that I'm having with you guys here, I cannot have with my closest groups of friends back home or families. I mean, when it comes to my parents, for example, I've honestly, particularly with my father, I've honestly just tried, I've stopped having a conversation. I just let him know. You know, like when he says something like that, it's 2020, we don't say things like that. That's misogynistic. Things, and we keep it pushing. Um, whether he takes it or not, I will keep reinforcing until somewhere, somehow he'll get it. <laughs> um, but these conversations, the conversation we're having now, I don't think I've ever heard, like, I've never had these with friends or, like, my closest group of friends back home. I mean, even in, like, just the random normal conversations, the colorism is there, the anti-Blackness sort of internalized misogyny all comes out. And being someone who's so used to being sort of in the shadows and just sitting there listening, God, it pains me to my core. And every time I try to interject, it's almost as if I am being bitter or it's just because I am single that I sort of have these ideas or have these, um, I guess, not contradictions necessarily, that I contend what their descriptions or what their meanings of either love or what their places in their romantic relationships and partnerships. Um, so I, it's hard. It honestly has been hard and it is still hard. And sometimes 
now personally i don't even think i want to try it's like it, it it's almost sort of like pushed back as if oh because you don't have access to the certain type of beauty whether it's being light-skinned or having the pointy nose or being skinny and all these other things it's like you're just bitter you would think differently if you were sort of accepted and i'm using air quotes here or when you say something that is, or when they say something about their relationships and I try to like point out that, that sort of reeks of abuse, you know? It's, it's really hard. And I think I tried to sort of put myself in their shoes, sort of, in trying, to, in trying to understand that maybe I think this way because I was removed from the context. I had the space and the opportunity to grow and to unlearn and i don't think they've necessarily had the same but i just don't know where to sort of draw the line in terms of trying to understand and relate with them as opposed to um, making excuses for them because i think at some point we have to hold ourselves accountable for our actions um, but yeah, it, it has been definitely isolating. It has been, you definitely get, I guess, backlash when you try to sort of stick up for something and try to have a stand or saying something that doesn't necessarily conform with normative values or the dominant culture. And just trying to break that is, it's hard. And as I'm not sure if it's Antelene or Ofenime has says, it's you can't i think it's antelene who says you just can't stop trying you have to just persevere as much as it's not our role to educate somebody else or people just don't put people aren't entitled to intellectual labor but however it's like you still have to be willing and sort of persevere in putting up in putting in the work and if they refuse to learn then they can take whatever <laughs> Someone said, uh, actually, uh, someone said, we've been discussing sexual harassment on the TL, the Twitter timeline, for years now. If you haven't learned, then you should be ready for whatever insults come your way. And I think that's what it is. That's how I see it. It's like, we've been trying to educate folks. We've been trying to challenge ideas. It's like, if at this point in time, you're not receptive or you're not willing to learn, then it is what it is. And you should be ready for whatever comes your way. <laughs> I think we're just all like reflecting and absorbing yeah. everything. Taking I it think in. It's like a perfect moment to just decompress. Oof. We've been talking for a while now. And um and a lot has been shared, you know. And thank you guys for sharing and being a part of this. And um Can and I also just say that it is not as isolating as we think this is. I mean, just to think of all of us right here, right now, I think it's also important to emphasize it's just about finding the right people. Like, it may seem isolating from the little bubbles we, we are in, but um, just to think of how well we've all just sort of conversed i mean we met today and how just not necessarily like-minded but how this conversation has sort of progressed 
it's not as isolating as we may think. And it's just about finding the right people to have these conversations with. But yeah, on a light note. Kai <laughs> always comes through with a great like closing statement. Um, and I think on that note, we'll just say thank you guys for joining us. Um, thank you to our guests, our friends. And please, guys, leave a comment. Um, share your thoughts with us on what you thought about this episode and would greatly appreciate hearing from you. And share it with your friends and everybody. Let's talk some more. Let us know if you want some more things like this. I don't know. But yeah, this has been fun. 